This week's Game of Thrones rewatch is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. If you're looking to buy a car, just like Danny was looking to buy an army of unsullied soldiers, uh, you might be familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for. But what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody, even if the dealer isn't speaking high Valerian. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories before you even get to the dealership. True car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one that you want all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because true car is going to show you what other people paid for that same car that you want. And your certified dealer knows this. So they set up their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy that new or used car, visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience some features not available in all states Winter was here, but we are just getting started on the post-show recaps, Game of Thrones rewatch time for season three. And now here are the two guys who uh, would never, ever cut off our nipples. I'm Rob Sistrino. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Oh, triggered, triggered. That was oh, that was so difficult. That was really difficult to watch. I don't care if this guy is unsullied and feels no fear or pain. That had to hurt. That had to that had to be rough. <laughs> That's gotta hurt. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my god. What a start to season three. Like this is a real indicator of where we're going here in season three. Should be a pretty brutal season if that premiere was any indication. Yes. Valar Doharis. Uh not Valar Doharis, as some people say. Valar Doharis, and here we are, ready to go. Ready to roll, ready to rock. Here we are, season three, beginning here on the Winter Was Here rewatch. And Rob, the countdown is officially on until the death of the spoiler-free section of this podcast. Right, because we have so much to talk about here at the start of season three, things that we are looking forward to. Uh, Sir Brendan of House Fitzy sent us a wonderful email about a bunch of things to ask us to uh, what we're excited for for season three, but I feel like that we're kicking off this new chapter of the rewatch, and I feel like that we cannot talk about the specific things that we're looking forward to seeing in season three. Yeah, yeah. No, it's going to be a great one, though, I think. We were both a little bit down on season two during our rewatch of season two. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that season three is a lot better than season two, in my opinion. It is not just a return to form for Game of Thrones to the glory days of season one, but I think season three is really of a piece of the high point of the show. So I'm very excited about the episodes ahead. Uh, If you are somebody who has watched the show before, you are going to be very excited to get into the spoiler-filled section with us. I think that there's a lot of great stuff to track here throughout our watch of season three. Uh, And yes, again, uh, this will be the last season where we will have a spoiler free section because you and I, Rob, started podcasting about the show live in season four. So all of those podcasts are available in the archives for the people who are watching Game of Thrones for the first time. 
So exciting stuff. And the fans that are, have been with us for a, a while, uh, first off, you're amazing. Uh, but second off, you, uh, they will remember that we actually did once before talk about the events of season three of Game of Thrones as uh, to kick off season four of Game of Thrones. When we first launched post show recaps, we went through we did like basically the 10 episodes of season three over the course of like 10 days or two weeks. So hopefully we don't make too many of the same jokes. We're much I'm funnier sure we now. will. Well, a little bit funnier, yeah. Like just mildly, mildly funnier. Definitely dumber. At least in my case, I feel a lot <laughs> stupider than than I was back then. Uh, I think you know, it's just hearing you say that though. Right now, makes me realize we've now officially podcasted about every single episode of Game of Thrones. So that's pretty cool. That's fun. Well. Yeah, I think there was a couple of them that I talked about with Antonio. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we probably missed a couple here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, we'll never, we'll never be complete. We will never be whole. No, we will. Uh, we a, will at a, the end of this. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for life. We'll be made uh, there will always be. There will always be something missing. Also, an apology to our listeners. Uh, no, you're not crazy. Uh, we did have a extra week off in between season two and season three. Uh, just too much going on in our uh, podcast worlds to be able to uh, get, kick off season three when we had first anticipated. But don't worry, we'll still be done before Game of Thrones. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was really I needed the extra week to scrub the blue raspberry taste of season two from my mouth. I just really had to. I needed that extra week. And oh, my God, I forgot that there is even a blue raspberry uh, resurgence at the end of this episode. Yeah. Of season three. What is with that? I mean, I had forgotten about that, too, where, yeah, that little girl, she shows up and Danny's like, oh, warlocks. And what happened with, again, I know this is spoiler free, but did the warlocks just say, ah, all right, one last shot to try to get Danny. All right, didn't work out. All right, let's move on. How how much longer are we going to chase this mother of dragons? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll be I'm very happy to spoil this one that that is that is the end of the warlocks. We have uh, you Never know through again. seven seasons through seven seasons of Game of Thrones. That is the end of the warlock. Just like one last shot from Karth. Uh god, I I've, I've completely forgotten about that with the return of Barristan Selmy to the show, which is a very exciting ending of this episode. Uh and one last appearance from a warlock who's just like this little kid now sticking out those, you know, that blue stained tongue at Sir Barristan and yeah, like making these awful hissing noises. And, uh, you know, this episode, as I'm doing these episode rankings, as we're going through, uh, I'm much more on top of it now than I was in the, towards the end of season one and early season two, I have, uh, the season three premiere currently in the top 10 of the 21 episodes of Game of Thrones we have seen, and it is above every single episode of season two except for Blackwater. Uh, And I can imagine that this might be the lowest ranked episode of season three purely because of the the demerit that needs to be issued (laughs) for the the return of the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Do you think that Pyatt Pre had in his will, like, uh, if anything happens to me, send a little girl with a scorpion to go (laughs) after my killer. And if she uh, if if somebody stops her, then forget it. Yeah. If the scorpion gets killed, then clearly I just I I'm no match for the mother of dragons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, All God. Right. Pyatt Pree. See you later. Worst character in Game of Thrones ever. Okay. LVP of the series. All right. We got so a lot bad. of the ground to cover here. As uh, This is, again, one of these big setup episodes where we're really all over the place. So uh, let's let's bounce around. And then we have so much to talk about with the spoilers. Uh, we pick it up in the beginning of the episode, Josh. Sam is running for uh, his life. We saw him at the end of uh, the last episode. Uh, I, I don't really understand like uh, how we like those two pieces fit together, watching them so close where, you know, the big White Walker army is marching. And then somehow what did they just like miss all of the Rangers or they got a couple of them? It, I think that they got a bunch of them because you're seeing the the gathered Night's Watch with Lord Commander Mormont towards the end of that scene. They couldn't and get all of them? Yeah, it feels like it's thinner ranks than uh, than we had seen previously, but they all look like a little haggard. Like they're definitely wounded. There's like some cuts in the forehead and stuff. So it seems like the battle occurred off screen, but not looking great for the Night's Watch and not looking especially great for Samwell Tarly either. He's getting a real dressing down from Lord Commander Mormont. Sam, you had one job. You had one job to send the Ravens. Is that where the you had one job meme really came from? <laughs> You know what? It's funny watching this scene. Like Samuel just has like the most pathetic face when he is being like, did you send the Ravens, Charlie? Charlie, did you send the Ravens? And Samuel's just kind of almost like issuing like it reminded me of like the Gilly sketch where he's like, (laughs) Gilly's back at Craster's keep. Charlie. (laughs) What? (laughs) Did you send the Ravens, Charlie? No. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, So Samuel had one job. You had one job and he could not deliver. So uh, the the Night's Watch that are stranded here beyond the wall, having just weathered an attack from the White Walkers, they have no means of getting that information back to Castle Black and, and further beyond. So. That's not great. That's that's a that's a bad start to the season for the Night's Watch. Meanwhile, elsewhere north of the wall, we see John being brought to go meet Mance Raider, where Lord of Bones had brought him in, and we get to see giants. We get to see a bunch of wildling kids that throw rocks that hit Jon Snow in the head that don't seem to really hurt. I feel like that Jon Snow's a really tough guy. He's got he got hit in the head yes. with all these rocks. He's just like, uh. Yeah, he's fine. You yeah, know, I, I don't know. Some some would argue that Jon Snow being dumb as rocks could uh, could be immune to rocks as well. Perhaps yeah. it's just uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really phase him. So he gets brought in to meet Mance Raider. What a uh, what a hulking bearded lumberjack guy. Mance Raider turns out to be Er, that's Tormund Giant Spain. They faked him out. And then once he kneels before Tormund Giant Spain, then they let him meet the real Mance Raider. Yeah, and it's a good thing that Tormund Giantsbane isn't the king beyond the wall because his first royal decree was you all better kneel every time I fart. And that would, A, probably be exhausting. This guy seems like he is potentially quite gaseous. And B, like, you, you don't want to be at, like, kneeling level in that event, I feel yeah. like. I feel like that's a bad <laughs> bad a bad place to be. Uh, so good thing Tormund Giantsbane is not the king beyond the wall. But we are meeting Mance Raider here, who is, of course, played by Kieran Hines, the great actor. He was Julius Caesar from Rome. He's He was in Munich. He's been in a great number of uh, movies and shows. Did you know, Rob, that somebody else was originally considered to play Mance Raider? No, I didn't. 
Uh, are you a, a fan of The Wire? Did you do The Wire? Are yes. you a, a The Wire guy? Yes. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy McNulty was was the oh. original guy they were looking at for uh, for Mance Raider, but I guess he didn't want to because all of the the Beyond the Wall scenes are shot in Iceland, so that would have been a long time in Iceland, and Dominic West didn't want to do that. That would have been worse than when they sent him to uh, the seaport in season two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he would pre- he would prefer the docks. I think the docks would be a better better situation than Iceland. Uh, Iceland's cool. He should have gone to Iceland. Uh, but anyway, in an alternate universe, Jimmy McNulty is the king beyond the wall. Instead, it's Kieran Hines here, and we are seeing this guy who we've heard a lot about through uh, through two full seasons of Game of Thrones. Mance Raider, this former member of the Night's Watch, who is now in charge of the Wildlings. And Jon Snow, it's becoming clearer now what happened at the end of season two with Jon Snow, which I maintain I think is done a little sloppily, so you're not fully sure what's happening there. But clearly Jon Snow is infiltrating the Wildlings. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Mance Raider is buying Jon's uh, sales pitch here, which is, I want to fight for the side that's fighting for the living. Is that you? Yeah. Wants a loyalty oath from Jon Snow. Yeah, yeah. And he gives it to him. Uh, So he he likes it. Yeah. In fairness, though, that I don't think that the wildlings seem particularly preoccupied with fighting the White Walkers. They seem to be like, okay, well, we got to get out of here. The White Walkers are coming. But if Jon is really, I want to fight with the side of the living, I'm not sure if he's necessarily with the right group. Yeah, it's more like we don't want to fight these people at all. We just want to get, <laughs> get out, out of here. here. We, gotta, we want to go to Dorne. You know, we want some of that sweet Dornish red. It's going to be hot and we're going to have a hard time with that. But uh, anything to get us away from the White Walkers seems to be the Wild Things plan. OK, there's a ton going on in King's Landing in this episode. Uh, we see Baron summoned by Podrick and he's really in the middle of something. And he ends up coming to uh, Tyrion's aid on a life and death matter. Tyrion, although, has been joined by Cersei. They're talking about uh, what happened to him in that battle uh, that Cersei had heard that uh, he had gotten much worse, Charles. Yeah, that it had. Uh, he she had heard that he had his nose cut off, uh, and so he doesn't look as gruesome as all that. Which is a nice little shout out to the books, where Tyrion does indeed lose his nose in that slash across the face at the Battle of Blackwater. But the the show has decided. Uh, we got it. We got to keep uh, Peter Dinklage looking good. So we can't cut off his nose and we don't have the budget for any sort of CGI stuff. So it's just a little slash across the face. And Cersei is very concerned that Tyrion has um, lunch with dad that he's going to be talking. What? Why do you have to talk to dad? And so that he's like, why? What are you worried? I'm going to tell him we end up seeing Tyrion and Tywin have a meetup. And Tywin, who you would think that as Tyrion would, that he would have been pretty proud of like hey i saw that blackwater episode that was pretty good nice job there Tyrion. no he's not even a little bit happy with Tyrion. Uh, Tyrion would like you know some thanks for it and he says applause are for jugglers and singers yeah uh and podcasters too we enjoy applause you rarely get applause in podcasting all right. If you're listening to this right now and you're enjoying the work no, that Rob iTunes and I are doing, ratings are our applause. Just just applaud a little bit in person right now. Yes. Yeah. Just like it just like uh, especially like if you want to like take a video of yourself clapping and tweet no, that at, to at us, best, like that would be great. You get the clapping emoji. That's I think on Twitter. <laughs> I'll take that, too. I'll take that, too. Just like a little bit of applause. That's what Tywin was writing in uh, those ravens that he was sending out. 
Yeah, they were 240 character ravens for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's using the full the full breath. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Tyrion is making some demands. He says to Tywin, "I, you know, I'd like to have Casterly Rock. You know that Jamie is in the Kingsguard. He can't have it. So I'd like what's rightfully mine." And Tywin said, "You wish. I'll never give you that." Wow, that is a really nice version of what Tywin actually says. <laughs> He's, As he if. Brutal. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie. No, uh, he is. Uh, he's very, very ruthless. To I poor can't Tyrion. even with you. I can't. Not even right now. Uh, yeah. He, he tells him uh, that, you know, all right, I hear what you're saying right now. You're sleeping in a small room. We'll give you a bigger room, something that is, you know, befitting your name. When the time comes, we'll give you a a position befitting your talents. And if you do a good job, we'll make sure that you have a really nice wife. And then Casterly Rock, uh, to be honest with you, Tyrion, I would rather be consumed by maggots than give it to you, (laughs) which is like, wow, okay, Uh, that seems that seems extraordinarily extreme. But uh, all right. You could just said no, dad. Yeah, so we're getting some insight here into the Tywin and Tyrion relationship. We haven't seen these two characters in a room together since the first season of the show. And back then, even though the relationship between them was definitely uh, frosty, uh, Tywin, at least at the time, was instilling a lot of responsibility in Tyrion. And Tyrion did a great job. And Tyrion makes great points here where he said, I bled in the mud for our family. And as my reward, I got sent away into some dark little cell. I'd love a little bloody gratitude right now. And he's certainly entitled to some. He's at least entitled to an attaboy, I think. Uh, instead, Tywin basically gives him a, I'm not even sure you're my attaboy, you know, and I can't prove it. But, uh, you know, that's why you're even being treated with a modicum of respect by me. But you're an ill-made, spiteful little creature filled with envy, lust and low cunning. And you killed your mother. Uh, so very, very vicious stuff from Tywin towards Tyrion, and I think a, a really good indication of what that relationship might be like in the episodes ahead as Tywin Lannister is now hanging out in King's Landing where Tyrion currently is. And Tywin seems really hung up on this idea of, I told you not to bring a whore back here, and you did what you always were doing, hanging out with harlots and drinking with thieves. Tyrion says sometimes I drank with the harlots also. But that was the one thing I told you not to do. You had a whore in my bed. Do you feel like is that really at the heart of the matter, Josh? I don't know. I think that that's part of it. He had, you know, that was the thing that he told Tyrion in season one. It's like, whatever you do, bring no prostitutes with you to King's Landing. And Tyrion very quickly uh, abandoned that directive. I think like literally the very next Tyrion scene, he was like, yeah, no, I'm going to bring Shay to King's Landing. Uh, so I think especially with Cersei, what she knew or thought she knew anyway with, uh, with Roz, uh, I think that that must've gotten back to Tywin. Well, I have to talk about this with you, with, with this whole business with Roz, because I need, there's a big part of the story that needs to be filled in because at the end of season two, Cersei incorrectly captures Roz as Tyrion's whore locks her away and says that, okay, we got you finally. Everybody's believing, okay, Roz is Tyrion's whore who's been captured. Here comes Tywin, saves the city. He hears the whole story about how, hey, dad, did you hear that Tyrion had a whore in your bed? And then he's mad about it. 
Yet somehow Roz is back out freely roaming the streets as if none of this happened. Who freed Roz? How did she get out of this sentence? Yeah, and on top of that, she's no like got a prominent Yeah, she's got a prominent position as Littlefinger's like second Number in command. One. <laughs> Yeah, and Littlefinger is like really close to the court. So connecting all of those dots, I think we could really uh, we could suffer a serious migraine. Uh, I don't think that it would hurt our heads quite as much as what Tyrion sustained at the Battle of the Blackwater. But I don't think it would be too far below that to really try and rationalize how Roz is a free person right now. Yeah. And there's just no mention whatsoever from Cersei when she comes to see Tyrion says, oh, well, it turns out that whore that we captured wasn't your whore. We'll find her eventually. Mark my word. Words. It's just that this, this, she's just back out on the street. Tyrion had nothing to do with freeing her. He said, I, oh, I'll, I'll free you. But we don't know if did Bronn have something to do with it. But she seems no worse for wear. No worse for wear. She seems like she's doing just fine. She has a nice moment with Shay as they are watching Littlefinger and Sansa have a conversation. If she only knew and- I got arrested because people thought I was you. Right. I think she'd be upset. I think she would be a little bit annoyed with Shay. I liked how Roz was talking about the day that Sansa was born in Winterfell, how they rang the bells from sunrise until sunset. It made me wonder, is the person who's in charge of the bells outside of Winterfell the same person who is blowing the horn outside of Winterfell and pissing Theon Greyjoy off or uh, at least related? You know, yeah. maybe they were part of the same family band. Uh, I don't know that there's uh, who knows? And you would think that Roz works nights. You think she was probably trying to sleep during the day. So maybe that's why that it was, uh, you know, uh, such a, uh, a vivid memory for her. Yeah, maybe she. I don't know. Uh, but Littlefinger is with Sansa and he's uh, I don't really understand exactly what's going on here. Is he just gloating? Is it really just like, hey, so I hung out with your mom a little while ago. She's very eager to see you and your sister and says, like, sweet, that's awesome. Can you take me to her? And Littlefinger's like. No. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, why not? Uh, tell me what to do. Tell me when to, to, to when, when you want me to do this. I just need uh, you to be ready to go at a moment's yeah. notice. Yeah. So Littlefinger is just like planting the seeds of, uh, of you know, what he'd already planted. Really, he's watering the plant of uh, what happened at the end of season two, where he'd said to Sansa, maybe I can help you out. And he's continuing that with just like a little bit more hope uh than last time of like maybe you know i have this assignment that might take me away from here for a while if that comes through i might be able to send word for you elsewhere in king's landing uh we see a little bit of joffrey being i don't know if if he thought that they were just going for a joyride or what but joffrey and marjorie are going in their people mover through flea bottom and marjorie makes a stop at the orphanage and joffrey is not thrilled about this but we see Lady Marjorie really go to work. She's talking with all of the orphans and uh, that while everybody, all, all the peasants uh, have so much disdain for the crown that we've seen so far, Marjorie is uh, starting to build up a new rapport with the uh, poorest people of King's Landing. 
Yeah, she seems like she's going to be a pretty rock star queen, right? I mean, like, she seems like she's pretty great. Uh, you know, she's giving toys to these kids. She tells the person in charge of this orphanage, like, if you ever need clothes or food or anything for these people, come directly to me. Uh, and even, like, Joffrey, who has this great moment where he's basically, like, says to Baron Chant, who asks him, like, do you want to get out and, like, join her? He's like, I'll stay in the yeah. car. <laughs> you know? like, yeah like while mom goes to the grocery store he's gonna stay in the car uh but even like later that night they have dinner and marjorie seems to to charm joffrey even then who takes a real shot at his mom uh when she is you know reminiscing on the time that there was that uh riot in the streets where she and joffrey nearly got killed and Joffrey's like eh, it wasn't that bad like you know uh Mother my mom's like a the- bit dramatic <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the facts get less and less important Fake as news. she gets older. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, all, <laughs> all fake news. All fake news all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, all, that was an, that, that's an alternative fact that Cersei is tossing out there. Right. And Cersei, for the first time, shows a little bit of disdain towards Marjorie. Uh, really, there's nothing that Marjorie can do right in Cersei's eyes during this dinner. Yeah, which is, uh, I don't know, you, you got to wonder what's going on, because we haven't really seen these two characters interact at all until now. Cersei seemed very supportive of Marjorie being Joffrey's new fiance. Uh, and now I, you get the sense that like Cersei's not like super, uh, super into this. Uh, she doesn't like the way that Marjorie is dressing. Uh, she thinks that she's dressing a little light for the weather. Uh, and she's, I don't know, she just does not seem as impressed with Marjorie as certain I think you and I are. I think that you and I are both really enjoying Marjorie and King's Landing so far. Yeah. All right. So we see some more action on the water in this episode. Uh, we see Davos. Uh, he is like uh, sprawled out on a rock and he ends up getting picked up by Salador San and brought back to Dragonstone to meet back up with Stannis following the events at Blackwater. And Stannis has really decided to take only the meetings with the Red Woman at this point. He doesn't want to talk to anybody else, only Melisandre. Only Melisandre. Yeah, Stannis is really, he's very closed off. This is like, this is this kind of behavior. It feels like, it feels familiar within Game of Thrones lore. Like to me, this reads like the Mad King and how the Mad King was before his uh, before his fall, uh, just becoming like more and more isolated and more and more paranoid. And you're getting the sense that certainly from the reports that Stannis is in a similar place. Stop He's shaving. burning people alive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if he has stopped shaving and that's all he's got, then like. I don't know. Stannis Baratheon and I have very similar beard genes. <laughs> you look like Stannis uh, right now? Yeah, like he's like approaching near to territory. <laughs> yeah. It's not a great look. Trust me. Trust me. I mean, I understand it. Like it's kind of a necessity. You look worse without it. But uh, he could he could. Uh, I wish I wish him a better beard than he currently has. Davos makes it all the way back to Dragonstone and he finally gets to see Stannis and uh, he wants to say like, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I, I came back. And Stannis is like uh, blaming Davos. He said, hey, you were the one that talked me out of bringing Melisandre. That's why we lost. Well, when you think about it, 
probably, he probably has a point. It didn't right? hurt. It wouldn't I have mean, hurt to brought her. I, I think it would have been nice. I think it would have been nice. You wonder, like, could she have had some sort of effect on the wildfire with her, her magic that we have seen already in action? Certainly, we have seen her uh, create, like, the shadow monster before. Could she have unleashed another one of those and taken out Joffrey uh, from a distance or something like that? So you got to wonder. You got to wonder how the Battle of the Blackwater would have changed if Melisandre was there. But Davos is really he's uh, he's offended. He's offended by all this. He's a grieving father. Right. You know, he lost yeah. his son recently. He just spent like five weeks out on a rock, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need an explanation on uh, on how long he was on the rock for. But in fairness, that I, I do feel like that Davos is coming back, and I don't think he really is upset with Melisandre that she has led Stannis astray. I think he came back, and he's really mad that his son is gone because of Melisandre, and he is coming for her for that. Yeah, I think he doesn't – he hasn't trusted her basically ever – and now that he's hearing what Stannis is doing, he still believes that Stannis can win this war and that he's still the rightful king. But now he's hearing about Stannis, uh, you know, burning people alive and just kind of acting like uh, like the worst version of a fanatic that he could possibly be. And I think this really flies in the face of uh, of a guy like Davos, who's uh, who's a little more salt and and, and yeah. potatoes, you know, salt of the earth and uh, I think uh, salt of the water, perhaps. <laughs> and he's just, you know, he's not he's not happy with these reports and he still believes in Stannis and he wants things to go a certain way. But uh, Melisandre, she's got she's got the king's ear right now yeah. and who knows what else. And she was a little extra with Davos when she said, oh, don't worry, Davos, that just like I told your son, a death by fire is the purest death there is. He's like, oh, that's it. That's it. Let me at her. Let me at yeah. her. <laughs> right. Take him to the yeah, cell. Get him out of here. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. So uh, from uh, out of the frying pan and into the fire, out of a rock and into a prison cell, uh, tomato, tomato. So bad, bad deal for for Davos. Bad first episode for Davos Seaworth. Okay. Meanwhile, another ship is sailing into Slavers Love You Bay uh, over in (laughs) Astapor. Danny is on the ship that they left from Karth. And then here they come and they are going to go and try to test drive an unsullied army. Yeah. Gotta say, like, immediately the Daenerys storyline is so much better than it was last year. You know, seeing the dragons are now at least like toddler sized. Uh, They're like a little bit more formidable than they were when we saw them in season two and they were just like a few inches tall. Uh, Now these are, you know, these are fairly significant, even if they're not big enough, according to Danny. But even everything that's happening now in Astapor seems fairly compelling. Sure, the return of a warlock is disappointing, but it is really just for this one moment in time. Uh, and then we've got this whole thing that's happening with Krasniz, the master of the Unsullied, who seems like a real piece of work. This guy seems, uh, you know, not quite Pyatt pre levels of terrible, but he seems pretty bad. He seems like a real bad dude. Yeah, he's the Watto of Game of Thrones. <laughs> We have lots of that. I only speak Valerian. Come on. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. <laughs> Only money. <laughs> Eight thousand unsullied. Can you beat that? Come on. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, it's, it's all building to a really epic uh, Podrick Payne race uh, coming up in the midpoint of season three. It's gonna be great. Now this is Podrick Payne. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, he is trying to talk Danny into. The uh, Unsullied Army. He says they have some other buyers. Who who else is in the market for 8,000 Unsullied? That is a great question. Uh, <laughs> I think he was really, bluffing. I don't think anybody yeah, else was could, buying 8,000 Unsullied. Could be a bluff or who knows? Maybe like some very wealthy antagonists are about to step into the scene with the second episode of season three. Who knows? Who <laughs> maybe. Knows? Maybe. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, at the end of the episode, as Danny and Jorah are thinking it over, uh, really, an army of slaves? Is that our thing? Is that on brand? What do you think? I don't know. So here comes a shadowy figure to protect Daenerys. And you think that maybe that's the menace as the music starts to build and that the little girl is just a uh, friendly little girl, but it's not what it seems. The girl is bad. She's a warlock. She's got an evil cricket. And then suddenly here comes Barristan Selmy to save the day. How did he know? Does he have like good uh, warlock dar? He's just been waiting his entire life to kill an evil kid. Like, it's just been like some <laughs> sort of like, it's been his dark passenger. And he's That's like, why Joffrey got rid of him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Joffrey could sense it. Joffrey could sense it. Yeah, Barristan was always a little bit of a risk in this regard. Uh, no, he's, he's, <laughs> I know you hate evil kids. Get out of my uh, sight. You're fired. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Barristan, I don't know. I mean, Jorah introduces him as one of the greatest warriors the Seven Kingdoms has ever known. So I think like his bad guy radar, I think you could trust to be pretty, uh, pretty on point. Um, but it's great to, great to have this character back. Really fun to have Barristan the Bold back in the mix. We haven't seen him since his epic uh, walkout in season one. Uh, the whole you can't fire me, I quit moment was really great. Now we know where he went. He has traveled the Narrow Sea. He is in Slaver's Bay. He is here in the city of Astapor, and he is pledging his sword to Daenerys Targaryen. He is saying that he failed to protect her family before. He wants a mulligan on that. He wants a do-over, and we'll see if Danny is willing to indulge that request in the episodes ahead. Okay, and the only other thing we didn't touch on was that the Stark army shows up at Harrenhal and they see that the Lannisters are gone. They torch the place and they also slaughtered 200 Northmen like sheep. Yeah, it's a bleak. Uh, it's a bleak scene here in Harrenhal. Uh, it looks pretty, pretty grim seeing all of these dead Northerners. And Rob Stark certainly seems really taken aback. And so does Roose Bolton. And so does uh, Lord Carr Stark. And even Catelyn feels really uh, feels really moved by all of this. She is seeing Sir Jeremy Malister, uh, the great Sir Jeremy Malister, uh, who was one of Catelyn's father's bannermen. Uh, who has been killed here. And uh, everyone is feeling pretty icked out by the sight here at Heron Hall. Luckily, uh, one person is alive, even though they look extremely dead at first. Yes. Kyburn is the maester of Heron Hall. Do I have that right? That I think that's job? right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. He's got, or at least he's a maester, uh, but he's got like that scratch on his neck 
And Rob says, you're lucky to be alive. And Maester Kyburn says, lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lucky. Yeah. I would, say, I would say lucky. I don't know why you're questioning that. That is definitely uh, you yeah. should be dead by all rights. Yes. You're not. Uh, not so lucky Cat Stark because uh, Rob Stark is throwing his mom in a cell. Yeah. Mom's still grounded. Yeah. She's a prisoner. And now she can uh, make herself at home here in Harren Hall. So. So much to get to here in the spoiler section as we uh, kick off season three. Anything else you want to talk about from the episode proper, Josh? No. Love this episode. Return to form for Game of Thrones. We are pushing into some really, really excellent material. uh, And especially the spoiler filled stuff is going to be really fun. So let's get into it. Okay. Okay, there we go. Uh, where do you want to start here? Oh my so god! Well, the, what, how about some uh, Roos Bolton uh, in this scene that we're talking about? Yeah, I think uh, so. Really, turn off the podcast if you're if you're not in uh, in the spoiler filled section by by intention. Last uh, we'll just chance. Available Buster for another five going seconds or once, so just, going twice. Just to get, yeah. Oh my god. All right. So we are we are like very seriously on red wedding alert now. Uh this scene is awesome in the context of the red wedding. Yes. Okay. What in what uh capacity? I think, you know, knowing where the story is going to go for Rob and Talsa and Catelyn and all of these Northerners to begin the season for these characters uh, with them, you know, facing the handiwork of the Lannisters of 200 dead Northmen uh, slaughtered like sheep. Their bodies just strewn about in these awful ways here in Harrenhal, this castle that is known, uh, that is infamous for being a cursed place. For them to start this way uh, and to know where they're going, where they are going to be participating, uh, they're going to be the unfortunate participants of a much worse massacre by the end of this season it's just a very grim and dark way to start the season for Rob Stark that I that I really think is just great writing. Yes. Uh, so Roose Bolton uh, promises to uh, Lord Car Stark, uh, we will get our revenge uh, on Jamie Lannister and for your sons. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> they won't. That's not, that's not happening. Yeah, he says uh, the debt will be repaid. Uh, which is an interesting, interesting choice of words by Roose Bolton, who is going to, uh, you know, repay a Lannister debt upon Rob Stark later on in this season. Yeah, he also says his best men are out there uh, trying to hunt down Jamie Lannister. But Josh, my question for you in terms of timing, when we see Tywin Lannister writing a letter, he's going to be doing a lot of writing with a pen. He's stamping a letter. We don't see who it's from. I think that we are supposed to presume that, you know, uh, the Red Wedding plans are being drawn up. Do you think that Roose Bolton has already been contacted? Has he received word from like how how is this being organized are they back channeling at this point already yeah i don't know if it's happening yet but it's gonna at the very least it's gonna start happening very soon roos is gonna post up in heron hall if i'm remembering that right where he's gonna be here for at least long enough to interact with the kingslayer directly um so i'm not sure exactly when those communications are starting with tywin lannister uh, I think that they must be, you know, they're tweeting at each other, right? Like they're sending, <laughs> they're, they're sliding, yeah, they're sliding into each other's DMs. 
<laughs> because yeah, at some point, you know, you got to have somebody who you could trust where, you know, if Tywin ends up moving in too soon with a, with a Raven, that's a Roose Bolton. Like, Hey, I've got a crazy idea. Do you want to, you know, betray the Starks and then you could have the North. Like he, he might show that letter to Rob Stark. You don't know. I think that, you know, he probably is picking up what, uh, what Roose Bolton has been putting down just by virtue of like, the fact that the Boltons have a flayed man as their sigil, yeah. like their whole thing <laughs> is like, uh, yeah, you know, winter is coming is the stark words and they seem all very loyal and honorable and noble. And here are the Boltons who want to flay people alive. Like yeah. feels like if anyone who's close to Rob Stark is going to like uh, betray this guy, I feel like probably the guy with the flayed man is a, is a decent bet to, to at least like put out the feelers. Yeah, probably also in hindsight, wouldn't have been the worst thing if uh, Rob Stark and Talissa would have just let Kyburn pass on here also. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're lucky to be alive. Lucky, unlucky for uh, everybody else. Uh, right. You know, it. What's interesting, too, is, of course, Maester Kyburn here, who has been uh, who is like, you know, violently part of the carnage here at Harrenhal, which had been under the command of the mountain. Maester Kyburn is going to bring that guy back to life uh, with yeah. his, you know, z- zombification stuff. So, uh, yeah, interesting debut for Maester Kyburn. I guess I'd forgotten exactly how he got into the mix. Uh, so seeing him here, it was cool. Yeah, it is weird that he would go to such great lengths to save the mountain when the mountain was responsible for so many people that Kyburn knew uh, being slaughtered like that. Do you think was there any sort of like do you think that that maybe the mountain there were ways to bring him back that he wasn't going to be like this ghoulish figure that got brought back? Yeah, maybe he got some revenge. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah, yeah, and bring him back. I think he probably did get some pleasure out of like turning the mountain into his, uh, you know, like his sort of like mindless plaything. Uh, you get the sense that the mountain responds to Maester Kyburn as his maker. It does make me wonder, you know, just as we're thinking about some of the possible fates for some of these characters, kind of improbably, Maester Kyburn is still on the show. Like you would think that by now, like this guy would be dead, but you've got imagine that guy is going to be dead by the end of season eight can you imagine the scenario where this like this frankenstein's monster situation kind of plays out where you know the monster rebels against its maker uh by the end of the series yeah he's mad at kyburn for doing this to him yeah something like that or just like in a fit of uh you know mountainstein rage he just like slices kyburn in half or something like that i feel like kyburn dying as a result of some sort of blowback involving the returned mountain uh feels appropriate especially since their origin uh, or at least kyburn's introduction to the show is so tied up in the mountain to begin with and that had been something that i'd forgotten about so i'm wondering i think that that might be a cool way to kill him off Okay, let's go back and talk about all of the stuff going on in the King's Landing scenes in this episode, because we talked about that conversation between Tywin and uh, with Tyrion. I feel like it was weird that Tyrion all of a sudden wants Casterly Rock. I feel like that it's sort of isolated to this episode that I feel like Tyrion's never talked about wanting Casterly Rock before this and really doesn't talk about it again after this. 
Well, I think he knows that he's not going to be hand of the king anymore. He's not going to have much of a place here anymore. Uh, I think being in King's Landing is sad and depressing for him right now, given the state of everything. And I think, you know, with Jamie being a member of the Kingsguard and having no claim on Casterly Rock as a result, Tyrion feels like it's his by right and he should get that. And, you know, at the very least, like, if he can't be handed the king anymore, this feels like an appropriate consolation prize. And I think he's right. I think he's right. I mean, we've, we've heard from him a little bit about some of like his childhood experiences at Casterly Rock. It's where he was born. It's where he was raised. So I, it makes sense to me that he wants to go back there and just like fulfill his destiny as a Lannister. Mm-hmm. He's proud of being a Lannister. He likes being a Lannister. He just wishes that everybody else liked him and was proud of him the same way that he's liked and that he likes and is proud of his heritage. But that's a tall order for Tyrion. <laughs> but I feel like in the last episode that Shay was saying, like, come on, let's get out of here. Let's go run away together and he says he likes the game he wants to stay in king's landing i thought yeah and i think that something has happened over the past several weeks where like you know i think he probably expected to get paid a visit by his father nobody has really come to see him he seems like he's gotten very paranoid and reclusive and is kind of just uh sticking to himself And I think with that all being said, it's probably soured his opinion a little bit, no? Mm -hmm. So Tywin is very upset with Tyrion about the whole thing with the woman of ill repute. He says, uh, the next whore I catch in your bed, I'll hang her. That's not exactly what ends up happening here. So (laughs) not not exactly. I mean, I. uh, I always think that the timeline of the Tywin, Shay, Tyrion triangle is a little murky. So how do you see that uh, the scenario between the three of them? Yeah, I don't I don't fully understand it myself. Like my question is like. Is Tywin like a secret whoremonger, right? Like, is he secretly like really taking a lot of people to bed and Shay is just like the latest and like he has like this indignation about the whole subject because it's like cloud cover for what he's really into? Or is it like he'll hook up with Shay later on because he wants to get back at his son in some like sick way of payback? Is it because Shay is secretly trying to get to Tywin so she can save Tyrion and then Tyrion is really overreacting when he kills her? The whole mechanics behind it Mm. is – especially for for Game of Thrones being a show that embellishes upon um, the books where you're really limited to the to the information that the POV characters have uh, but the show has really you know taken the luxury of letting you in on the secrets and the storylines of some of these characters who you're not in their heads Rob Stark being an example I think it would have been helpful to have a couple of scenes with Tywin and Shay to really have the Shay death in particular really um, really have maximum impact. Because Tywin, whenever Joanna Lannister, his wife, is brought up, you know, it's always like talked about like this great romance. And we wonder, like, w- was it maybe like a story? Because you hear these stories about the Starks, about how they are, were these perfect people that never did anything wrong. And then we find out to some degree that that isn't necessarily the case. So I, I think it's a little bit muddy in terms of uh, everything going on there. But there is some question here where Tywin 
talks about how he's been cursed and so that uh, the gods are punishing him uh, by giving him Tyrion and it's only because he can't prove that Tyrion is not his son if that was possible then he would uh, be it would be a great burden lifted from him this is interesting. Um, you know, one of the theories that surrounds A Song of Ice and Fire more so than Game of Thrones proper is that, of course, now we know through seven seasons of the show that these theories about Jon Snow secretly being a Targaryen are not just theories. It's confirmed at the very least for the show. Jon is the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen. But there's this less popular theory, but gaining a little bit of steam, especially after uh, some passages. Yes, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, especially getting some steam after the World of Ice and Fire, the big encyclopedia, where there's some passages in there about uh, the Mad King and Tywin's relationship, and especially the Mad King's relationship with Tywin's wife. That has led some people to think that the Mad King either had like some sort of secret relationship with Joanna Lannister or forced himself potentially and probably more likely upon Joanna Lannister and is potentially Tyrion's actual biological father, meaning that Tyrion would have Targaryen blood in him. Um, And all of these claims that Tywin makes about you're no son of mine uh, is legitimate, at least on a biological level. Um, And the show having this moment here where Tywin is saying the only reason I treat you like a Lannister is because I can't prove that you're not my son – at the very least suggests to me that uh, the Mad King um, having some sort of sexual encounter with Joanna Lannister that feels, I don't know if I would say like outright confirmed to me, but that really bolsters that theory for me. And, you know, just because we're talking about these episodes in the context of what we've seen of Game of Thrones, which is everything except for the final six episodes, our most recent image of Tyrion Lannister that we've been left with, Rob, is that scene on the ship where John and Daenerys are having sex, and Whoa. those are two two secret related uh, Targaryens, and Tyrion is kind of just like in the shadows, and we don't understand like really the significance of that. But is there potentially anything to? You know, who who knows what the reasons for Tyrion kind of like creeping around in the shadows is, but is it the show's way of showing us three Targaryens in close proximity? I just wonder. I just I, I just know. wonder. I don't know. Like, I feel like it, there's a lot that needs to be done, and I feel like it'll come kind of out of nowhere if the show chooses to have, have, have Tyrion be a Targaryen and come, come uh, less out of nowhere if it's the case in the books, should the books ever finish, which I probably will not. Uh, but I don't know, just something I was thinking about rewatching the scene. I thought that was an interesting throw. What, what seems like a throwaway line from Tywin that I think could have potentially could have some significance later on. So Josh Wiggler of the Hollywood Reporter fame are you willing to plant a flag in one direction or the other on the Targaryen lineage of Tyrion Lannister? And it could be, I think the book will do it and the TV show won't. That, that's an acceptable right, answer right. as well. Yeah, I think that's my answer. I, I don't think that the show is going to do it. Uh, I, think, I think that th- there's only six episodes left. There's just... There's just a lot of stuff that has to happen and for Tyrion to be a secret Targaryen with six episodes of Game of Thrones left. That just feels like a lot to accept. So I don't think it's going to happen. 
I do think it is the plan potentially in the books. I don't think it's going to be the plan of the show. Well, visually, I'm not even sure how you get that on the show other than brand splaining the whole yeah. situation of going back in time. Like, actually, Tyrion is something you need to know as well. Did you know right. that your father was actually the Mad King who raped your mom and then your dad had no idea? And so you're not actually. Uh, so I, I don't know necessarily how we we see all that come together on the screen. Yeah, me too. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure myself. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm not I'm not banking on it. I'm not counting on it. I do think this is just kind of an interesting feather in the cap of people who really do feel strongly about that theory. And especially as the show right now is still very synced up with the book. Um, you know, this could be something that George R. R. Martin had whispered in their ear. And as they've uh, as Benioff and Weiss have had to go a little bit further off book uh, as the seasons have progressed, this might just be something that they have since abandoned. Perhaps it was them, uh, you know, being interested in exploring this. But who knows? You asked me to plant a flag and I will yeah. plant a flag in uh, the favor of the show not going the Tyrion Targaryen route. Can I give you a very quick uh, aside, but something that was super annoying that happened to me regarding Game of Thrones recently? Yeah, please. <laughs> so, please, please, yeah. I, you know, I've talked about before, not necessarily on this podcast, but I, I don't know who the gatekeeper is on these alerts that you get on your phone. You get like these notifications. Uh, the highlight of it was when I got a notification about an article that you had written for uh, THR. I, th I believe it was either a Game of Thrones or a Walking Dead piece that you had written. It popped up. I got an alert on my phone. It's like, oh, I know that guy. Okay. Yeah. But there, there was one I got recently that popped up on my phone and it was like, oh, uh, released something or leaked something reveals a huge Game of Thrones season eight spoiler. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold yeah. on. I'm going out of my way yeah. to avoid spoilers. Why did I get an alert on my phone? <laughs> like, whoever is the yeah. gatekeeper here, stop sending the ravens. Yeah, frustrating stuff. It sounds like there's like some season eight spoilers that are out there right now. I feel very lucky that it's like my editorial mandate that we're not touching that stuff. Yeah. So I'm really I'm insulated from it, which is great. Uh, but it's out there and it's dangerous. And there are definitely people who are reporting on some things that you're right. hearing about season eight. Which it's crazy. Is not fun. It's crazy. Like how? <laughs> why? Like why? Why would anybody say like okay, send a SMS alert to everybody? There's a Game of Thrones spoiler out there that people need yes. to know about. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Stop yeah. it. Stop it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's, uh, where should we go next? We're going to talk about Daenerys uh, with, you know, and I know you said this is an upgrade for her in the season three storyline, but do you feel like that is four episodes too much of this one gag of that the used unsullied salesman is speaking Valerian and insulting Daenerys, but she really speaks Valerian? I think the punchline is, punch so is good. great punchline. It's a great punchline. Great punchline. Four episodes is a lot. Uh, maybe we I don't see her in one of them. Maybe it's only we check in. We check in another time and then maybe this, she gets a week off and then we get the punchline. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it paces out, uh, but I. I, I just I love the you know the the whole Dracaris moment is so great and especially after like a really weak season from Daenerys it's such a welcome return to form for that character and such a, like an incredible advancement of that storyline uh, and I think you know maybe 
maybe the argument in favor of it, you know, taking four episodes to get there is so that you get like a really good hate into Watto, right? Like to like really, <laughs> to like be really ready uh, for the show to like give you the justice that the Phantom Menace never was willing to give you. Uh, so I think that that, that could be, that could be part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the Barristan stuff, uh, for those who are not aware, uh, plays out differently on the show than it does in the books. Barristan is like incognito when he meets Daenerys for the first time. I forget exactly. I think his name is Arstan is the, is the name that he is, uh, uh, he's he's selling himself as he and this uh, this other guy, this huge warrior named Strong Belwaz, who is a favorite of mine you from love. the book. And I love Strong Belwaz, and he never made it to the show, which has always made me very sad. Uh, I think the chances of Tyrion Targaryen are higher than a Strong Belwaz sighting uh, in Game of Thrones with with six episodes left. Although there are people who say that there was something Strong Belwaz ish in season five. We'll get there, uh, but Barristan is is undercover for much of the first several chapters that he uh, appears in, in the, in the Danny storyline in a storm of swords and is eventually revealed to be Barristan the bold. Uh, but that wouldn't really play the same way on the show when you know, the actor who is playing that character. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I always loved that storyline, but I think that the way that they introduced Barristan back into the mix here is pretty cool. Calling him the greatest swordsman and like one of the greatest warriors, the seven kingdoms has ever known it's great and that's fun and that's such an exciting aspect of Barristan the Bold. But man, they really just let him die like a chump in season five, don't they? <laughs> well, you got to really do. Got I old. guess. I guess. I that always that always was such a sour thing for me, but whatever. Yeah. Uh let's bounce around to some other uh quick things. Uh Brendan Fitzpatrick in his email to us uh mentioned about how in the scene with Littlefinger and Sansa, he basically says that Arya is alive. How could he know slash be able to determine that so well if he didn't recognize her when he saw her at Tywin's? I think we have to jump to the conclusion that he did recognize Arya, unless he was just bluffing and he didn't realize that he had already seen her. Yeah, maybe there's a line coming up where that's going to be more explicit and it's entirely possible because there's a lot of details that uh, that I've forgotten along the way here that I'm uh, being reminded of as we are going through the show. Uh, that being said, if he knew that that was Arya, Littlefinger really bungled this one. Uh, like really just like talking about once again. Yeah, just like chalk it up again to like our increasing, you know, uh, high alert on just how overrated Littlefinger is that he had Arya Stark in his grasp and just kind of let her go. Right. Even when she's about to murder him in season seven, that he could have said, no, Arya, you don't remember. I could have told Tywin that it was you and I didn't. I kept your identity a secret. Don't I get anything for that? Yeah, you would think you would think that he would have he would have been able to play that card. But he didn't because secretly Littlefinger kind of sucks. <laughs> Do you like Sansa's game of imagining where the ships are all going? Yeah, I think that, that would be fun. Shy. I feel, yeah, I feel like the uh, the the entertainment options in King's Landing feel limited. Uh, so I think that that would be that would be like a safe way to pass the time, especially if you're Sansa Stark and you're uh, you know a very high level prisoner right now with a lot of eyes on you. Mm hmm. 
All right, what about up in Beyond the Wall uh, with John's meeting with Mance Raider? Um, man, I I love Mance Raider so much in the books that I feel like he was just kind of a whatever character on the show, even though Kieran Hines is a great actor. Would have been really fun to see Jimmy, uh, Jimmy McNulty in that role, I think would have been great. Uh, but I love this first scene with John and Tormund Giants Bane, knowing that these guys are going to become like, not like best friends or anything like that, but they're going to be like really close allies later on. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, they'll be bros for sure. Did you enjoy this first scene with John and Tormund Giant Spain? Yeah, it's fun with Tormund Giant Spain acting uh, as if he is uh, running things. I think that's fun knowing that uh, he is not the leader and watching him try to uh, play it up. I like that. Um, I wanted to know from you in terms of Jon Snow when he's talking with Mance Raider and Mance Raider is saying that, okay, what do you want to be? You're not a traitor. You want to be the hero. Do right. you feel like was that a correct assessment from Mance Raider about Jon Snow? Yeah, I think so. Uh, whether I like, got something that's conscious with Jon Snow or not, I think for him, he wants to be. You know, he wants to be lawful good. He wants to be like the greatest of, of good. You know, he wants to be the person who does the totally right thing for the totally right reason. Uh, he wants to be altruistic and he wants to save the day. And I think when he when he gets that line from from Mance Raider and he gives him, you know, it's after he gives him sort of the bullshit answer of I want to be free. You know, no, that's not what Jon Snow wants. What Jon Snow wants is he wants to fight for the side that fights for the living. Uh, and that's why he's able to, to start convincing Mance Raider here, I think, because he's at the very least being truthful to who it is that he actually is at heart. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, certainly the subsequent seasons are really going to bear out that Jon Snow is always going to do what he thinks is right, at least whether or not it's actually right is another question. And, man, it would be great if he has another gear where he could really slow his role on some of that stuff, as in the season seven finale. Because that word hero to me is a little bit of a loaded word because we hear the word hero often in association with the legend or the prophecy of Azor Ahai and whether or not John may in fact be that legendary hero. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's certainly the... Whether or not that's going to be like done very literally, I think, is another question. Uh, but I think just the idea of John being um, he, at least symbolically Azor Ahai reborn, I think, is something that I'm very much on board with, aren't you? Um, I think so. Uh, I think it's really the toss up between him and Daenerys at this point. But um, I'm not sure if the writing in season three was pointing us in one direction or not. It might have just been a you know particular uh, turn of phrase. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing on the show is that prophecy can be interpreted in multiple ways. And I think that Jon Snow can fit that prophecy. I think Daenerys can fit that prophecy and then take your pick as to who's the, the third person who is going to be uh, really fulfilling that possible uh, description of Azor High. It could be multiple people. It could be more than three. It could be more than one, certainly. So we'll see. But I think Jon Snow, obviously, if the show has kind of like a conventional hero type anymore, uh, I think that Jon Snow seems to be the guy that the show has been positioning for that for for many many seasons now certainly starting here in season three with this line okay josh anything else from the season three premiere 
anything else from the season three premiere. I mean, we got to be getting ready to say goodbye to Lord Commander Mormont here pretty soon. He has a great scene in this opening scene of the episode. So I, I'm enjoying our time with him while we've got him. Um, not much with like the, the Davos stuff. I got to tell you, like I always forget that Davos had a wife because uh, we've never <laughs> met her on this show ever. Betsy. Uh, yeah, Betsy, Betsy Davos. Yeah, well, we still haven't met her and she's being brought up again here. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, that's basically it, I think. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to next week's episode. I'm looking forward to trucking through season three here. Yeah. Also uh, at the dinner, I think it's interesting. So uh, we have this uh, pseudo double date, uh, but we have uh, one of the couples uh, don't know yet that they are going to be betrothed later on uh, this season as we see uh, Loris and Cersei dining with Joffrey and Marjorie. I think that's pretty fun looking back at that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awkward first date. <laughs> I frankly had completely forgotten about that, like until you just said it. Uh, that's right. I'd completely forgotten about the Loris and Cersei stuff. Yeah, that'll play out soon. Yeah. Play it's out a soon. fun Lannister season in terms of like, yeah. the, the, to me, this is like the Arrested Development season of Tywin and Tyrion and Cersei, all like this dysfunctional family in King's Landing. Yeah. And here I am, Round Howard, narrating the action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could have fun with that. Okay. Yes. Um, so what's coming up uh, in episode number two? We got to check in with Arya, right? Yeah, I think Arya is going to finally uh, return. If I'm not wrong about that, we are going to see uh, Jojen and Mira Reed are going to show up. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Get excited. Yeah. Get ready. Get ready for that. Uh, I believe that Lady Olena is going to make her first appearance here in the rewatch. So that's very exciting. Yeah, that's good. Arya, I think uh, a couple times uh, she gets the short shrift in that she doesn't show up in the premiere episode. You got to wait until the second episode. I feel like that's season five. They do that to her, too. Yeah, and they basically did that to her in season two. She's in like the she's on the on the wagon at the very end of the of the first episode of season two. But that's it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we'll see if, if that holds true because you, you know you don't want to miss an episode in say in the last season. There's not that many episodes to be in. No, that would be bad. Anyone who is missing an episode in the final season of Game of Thrones, I suspect they will be missing it because yeah. they did. Well, they made up for it. They let her kick off season six. So uh, yeah, she had that yeah. going for her. OK. All yeah. right. Well, such fun stuff. Uh, of course, uh, we will be back next week to talk about all of it on THR and over on Post Show Recaps. You can subscribe to the Game of Thrones podcast feed at postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He has uh, so much going on between uh, all of uh, ongoing Game of Thrones, uh, non-spoiler news, and Survivor and everything else uh, at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Cistrino. We're going to have to do a Survivor Ghost Island with Game of Thrones characters on the podcast at some point in the near <laughs> with, future. With all of the artifacts? Every single character is ghost. Just the <laughs> dire wolf. Oh, okay. That's how it works. I thought you were going to use like, like the Horn of Winter and like all these different <laughs> things that like uh, came up and then were misplayed. That's a great idea, too. I like that idea. <laughs> 
That'll be that'll be great. Yeah, <laughs> Little fingers should. dagger. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, this writes itself. We definitely have to do this. We have to get that done. <laughs> who will who will be the first one out? Is uh is the is the great question? Is that just a, an automatic Ned Stark? We'll have to see. Okay. All right. Well, fun stuff. We will be back talking more Game of Thrones with you guys uh, next time on the Game of Thrones Poster Recap. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.